Jamie Lee Gonzalez, and you're listening to Engage Citizen X. This episode, I'm joined by Sunny Nestler and Rachel Brideoff Horwitz, and today we're talking about community bike shops. Like this, maybe? Yeah. Sunny on the mic. Cool. <laughs> okay, yeah. Um, Rachel on the mic, having some herbal tea on a rainy Saturday. Feeling pretty good about it all. And before we really start, I'm yeah. like, am I, am I supposed to be representing... You, we're just talking. It's okay. like you don't have to represent <laughs> like anything. Um, you can just really like, behave myself. No, or? not at okay. all. I'm working on a mug collection at, in our nice. office right now at the co-op. So I saw a couple good ones in there. Um, right now, the two mugs. One of them was like a gift for being on a panel for okay. like a scarp conference. It's the one that's like kind of volcano shaped and it's blue and really beautiful. And then the other one is a mug from the garbage, um, like the throwaway milk crate in the Pottery Club, where people yes. put their pottery that's like too ugly or heavy yes. to take home. <laughs> and we call it the punishment mug, and nice. it's for like if a staff member has been bad, they have to drink out of it at the staff meeting. And it's like you can't like if you pour something into it, it like comes out. Oh, no. <laughs> and it's like ten times heavier than it looks for some reason. It's just like the worst mug ever made. Oh, <laughs> Love it. Okay. Uh, let's launch into it. I'm Sunny Nestler. I use gender-neutral pronouns, they and them. And um, my brief, my, my abridged life story uh, is that I'm uh, living a double life as an artist and a community bike shop person. Um, I started a community bike shop in 2007 called Bike Saviors Bicycle Collective, and that is in Phoenix, Arizona, where I'm from. And then I spent about four years uh, working as a mechanic and an HR bottom liner for our community bikes here in Vancouver. Um, and now I'm the programs manager for uh, the bike co-op and bike kitchen out at UBC. I've been doing that for about a year and a half. Uh, so I kind of oversee uh, a variety of programs that are, um, some of them are seasonal, some of them are like fixed in a permanent space, some are outreach based, mm -hmm. uh, some are events based. Um, and I work with different uh, departments at UBC and the other community bike shops in Vancouver to organize and manage programs throughout the year. Mm -hmm. Cool. What an act to follow, yeah. Sunny Nessler. <laughs> <laughs> um, my name is Rachel Bridoff Horwitz, uh, and I am, I would say, a relatively recent transplant to Vancouver a couple of years ago. Um, I came to do graduate school, which is still a giant question mark as to how it's going or if it's a good idea or any of those things. Um, but I have been involved in a number of um, community bike collectives, mostly in Montreal, mm -hmm. where I used to live. And um, it was a, I found them to be a really nice space in a lot of ways and a space that could be engineered a little bit differently in regards to how it welcomed folks and who it welcomed and I've I've noticed there's been a bit more awareness and a lot of organizing um, in a lot of collectives that I sort of have brief contact with mm -hmm. around making those spaces more welcoming um, but that was something that was really fun for me um, to be a volunteer with um, and this summer um, I'd been volunteering with one of the programs connected to the AMS Bike Co-op, uh, BC Libre. And this summer I'm, I'm co-coordinating that program which connects um, donated and repaired bicycles to migrant 
agricultural workers who use them for transport when they don't have a lot of other options mm -hmm. um, to get around their farms and get off their farms. Yeah, Maybe just to give people a bit of an intro, how do bike co-ops work? So uh, bike co-ops and collectives are, um, they work in a few different ways. There are a few hundred scattered throughout North America mm -hmm. uh, that overall um, tend to function as volunteer-run organizations, although more and more they have um, executive directors or staff that are trained bicycle mechanics. And uh, the principle of the community bike shop is to have a physical repair space where people can uh, learn how to do mechanical repairs on their own bicycles. Uh, and the spaces are often run collectively or through consensus or some kind of alternative uh, to a hierarchical structure, mm -hmm. although that can vary quite a bit depending on the space. But um, the thing that kind of unites all of the community bike shops are a focus on education and recycling. So um, using bike parts that would otherwise go to the landfill uh, to teach people how to do mechanical repairs. And then in most cases, when resources are, are available, to have mechanics sort of on standby to complete repairs um, when people are done with the learning portion yeah, and yeah. Their, their bike still isn't ready to, to ride. So that model can vary quite a bit from space to space, depending on the resources mm -hmm. in that area. Um, a lot of shops are also focused on accessibility on a number of fronts. So they've incorporated that into kind of their mission statement. And again, that kind of looks different based on the location of the shop and like what the membership is like. Yeah. And then there's also a, a, a network of... Um, community bike shop people, so volunteers, staff, founders, um, folks who use the shop and are sort of peripherally involved, uh, that meet up once a year at a rotating location in uh, North America and more recently. Um, so in historically in Canada and the U.S. for the first 10 years, and then the last few years uh, there have been a few conferences in Mexico as well, mm, cool. um, so kind of expanding a, a little bit, and usually some people show up from uh, European countries, and that happens once a year, like I said, in a rotating location, mm -hmm. so we meet up and kind of talk about the different organizing principles and practices of community bike shops to share knowledge. Yeah, that's, that's cool. kind of a long answer. But no, no, I think that's great. That's what a community bike shop is. Yeah. <laughs> it's like loosely based on, it kind of, in my opinion, has evolved from the model of uh, like the food cooperatives of the 60s and right. 70s. So kind of that idea that you have a membership um, that is, it's like a consumer co-op where mm -hmm. the people who make the purchases in the space have a say in what happens yeah. in the administration. Whereas, like, community bike shops have kind of morphed that into, like, a worker collective model where mm -hmm. people who want to drop in and use the shop don't have to commit to anything like that. Yeah. Um, but the workers are generally organizing mm -hmm. um, to support their own staff and, like, mm -hmm. share responsibilities. Yeah. Yeah. Really cool. Would you, would you add anything, Rachel, to that? Well, so when I, when I was working more closely volunteering, because I think I never got paid, um, <laughs> at, at some of the bike collectives in Montreal, something that was also happening, you know, Sunny's talking about worker, it's like a bit more worker organized. Sometimes there actually aren't even workers mm -hmm. in a, in a sort of paid sense, <laughs> uh, but just folks who care about the space and care about the programs and who are maybe a bit more responsible about how the 
how things work, mm -hmm. like as a um, as a collective. So again, that that sort of workers model, but not necessarily talking about workers who are paid always. <laughs> yeah, like at, at my old shop, we had it was all volunteer run for the first three years, and because we didn't have a paid staff, we didn't have to have a separate board. So like the worker collective, air quotes, was a volunteer staff that was mm. also the board because we didn't have to make that distinction. Okay. Whereas at a place like the Pedal Society that runs our community bikes or the bike kitchen where we work, there are legal restrictions around that for accountability mm -hmm. to the government reasons. Okay. And so we have a separate volunteer board like any other nonprofit right. would have to. Uh, and so that kind of like dictates the structure a little bit more rigidly mm -hmm. uh, and we don't have it's like a double-edged sword but we don't think about it as much we just mm -hmm. kind of follow that structure yeah how did you get, become interested in wanting to work in bike co-ops or bike community shops um, in general um, I got a flat tire <laughs> yeah. and I got it at a time in the year when the when the bike shops were really, really slammed. Mm -hmm. And so they told me that it was going to take about a week to get my my flat changed. Um, and then somebody said something about, you know, how it actually wasn't that hard to change a flat tire, yeah. which is something, for whatever reason, I had never thought about actually doing myself in my entire life. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and so... I think on the advice of some friends, and I was a university student at the time, I found probably Right to Move, which is out of Concordia and, and one of the older ones in Canada, um, and went there with a friend and kind of just saw how relatively simple that process was yeah. um, and c got excited about it in yeah. certain ways because I don't know if it's a gender thing or just a sort of what was around me when I was growing up, but kind of mechanical stuff wasn't really a thing that was available to me. Yeah. I also went to a performing arts high school, so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I made my own choices <laughs> in certain ways. Um, but I, I, loved, I loved not having to go to someone to pay money in a, like, particular way and to wait around um, for this thing that I was using so much. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was a, a real pleasure to not only be able to take care of my own bike, but to actually feel like I understood how parts of it worked. Mm -hmm. So that was really thrilling. Um, and after that, I decided I wanted to build my own bike. And it was sort of a very slow, torturous process, yeah. <laughs> which I, I still don't fully understand a lot of things around compatibility, you know, the mm -hmm. sort of like things that make bikes a little bit it's difficult, or it's so nice to have somebody who really knows what they're doing <laughs> in and around you. Yeah. Um, and so having spent a little bit more time in some of those spaces, um, I decided I wanted to spend even more. Um, and I started to volunteer. And yeah, I did it for a couple of years. I really liked it. Mm -hmm. I think there's great potential in combining performing arts with learning how to change a tire. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I think I cried the first time I changed a tire. Really? It, I got a pinch flat like four times in a row. Um, and I didn't know why. No. I was just like trying to do it by myself right. in the kitchen and it kept not working. And I was finally, I didn't have the right kind of, I didn't even know about a tire lever. I think I was using spoons from the kitchen. <laughs> I was like on the floor in the kitchen. Just, At like, least not a fork. I mean, you made some good choices. I doing, but I, I did have a similar path of like, 
I was really interested in mechanical objects as a small child. I would, like, try to take apart the family VCR, and, like, I was not encouraged to do that, obviously, for (laughs) reasons I didn't understand. But, and now I'm finally fulfilling that desire, because I volunteer at um, Free Geek, and I just, like, go in and take apart old... Cool. old Wii's and like Xboxes <laughs> and stuff and it's really satisfying yeah. but I kind of got into bikes uh, in a similar way What I was I think Derailer Bicycle Collective was the first community bike shop I went to that's in Denver mm-hmm. and they set me up with a bike I just needed a bike to get around on I was living there at the time and shortly after and I was, like, really kind of confused, like, I was amazed and confused by the model. Like, I went into this weird backyard, and there were just, like, piles of bikes everywhere, and then someone gave, <laughs> yeah. me, a, gave me one, and it, I didn't know really what to do. Yeah. I, like, wasn't even very good at riding the bike. Yeah. I didn't, it was the wrong size for me. And then I ended up, shortly after that, living in California. This was in uh, 2006, I believe. It was when Arnold Schwarzenegger was the governor, okay. so somewhere in that yeah, time yeah. period. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I started collecting bike parts in my apartment. Um, I was actually, I was sick at the time. I was, like, not doing very well, and I needed something to do at home to just, like, occupy myself. And I put an ad on Craigslist asking if people would just, like, give me their old bike parts so I could like take them apart yeah (laughs) and someone ended up bringing a bike frame into my work I worked at at the Berkeley Bowl at the time which is a grocery it's like a produce market in Berkeley and uh this person from Craigslist like came through my checkout line and was like hey I brought you this bike frame (laughs) Uh, my old roommate left it in the kitchen when he moved out and it's like broken but you can have it and it actually turned out that it wasn't broken. It just had, um, the fork was bent, but the frame was not damaged. And it was, like, an old Miata uh, road racing frame from the 80s that was the perfect size for me. Cool. And it's, like, the bike that I rode here today. Like, no way. It is my main... It's been my bike for the last 12 years. That's so amazing. it's pretty random that it was, like, the first garbage <laughs> bike frame that someone gave, gave to me to- off Craigslist. Yeah. Ended up being, like, my perfect... Lifelong soulmate of a bike. <laughs> so then I went through this long process of trying to figure out how to turn it into a bike. Mm-hmm. And I knew that community bike shops were a thing from when I had gone to derailleur, but I didn't know um, like if there were more of them really. Mm-hmm. So I just started going into bike shops around town, like in San Francisco and Oakland and Berkeley, and like bothering the mechanics that worked there. <laughs> and I ended up finally finding this shop that was. I can't remember what it's called, but they were just a regular shop, but they had, like, one little workbench where you could, like, fix your own flat, and they just, like, set me up there with, uh, a manual, and I bothered customers all day long, and, like, I think after eight hours, I had, like, overhauled the headset or something. <laughs> like, it was really not the fastest way to go about efficient learning this, yeah. but then shortly after that, I came across a group that was doing, like, a drop-in bike repair night in a gallery Mm. that was like a a more like inclusive community space Mm -hmm. type setup it was a gallery called rock paper scissors collective in oakland and a few mechanics were dropping in on that night and that's eventually how i finished building the bike so yeah like six months and maybe a few hundred dollars later (laughs) i had this like amazing (laughs) racing bike so i started by this is a really long story i'm not i'm like not telling the short version don't worry 
I don't know the last time I told this story at, at this length. So yeah, you can tell me to hurry up no, at any no. point. But I started going on these long road rides on all my days off. I would go like up to Sausalito and like bike all around the along the ocean and like I just got really into biking. Like mm-hmm. I just really it was the first time I'd ever done a sport probably. Right. Like I was just having this whole experience and I was like in my early twenties. It was like yeah. it was an interesting time. And then I ended up going back to Arizona and um and that's when I decided I wanted to start a community bike shop. I wanted to like go back to the place where I was from and like do something useful. Cool. Um, there's not a lot of spaces like that, or there weren't at the time Mm -hmm. in Phoenix. It's a really conservative and car based city. Mm. Uh, like I always grew up in between like several highways. Um, it's kind of like LA, but more Mm. spread out. So, um, yeah, it was not a super, um, like hospitable environment to do something like that in. And yet there was a really strong desire for it. Like lots of people wanted a place where they could go buy a used bike part and have a friendly person help them figure out how to install it. Totally. So it was just like, you know, me and maybe three or four other people and we would just hang out on Sundays and take bikes apart because none of us knew how to put them back together mm-hmm. and then before we knew it we had like all these piles of bike parts everywhere and we were like this kind of looks like a bike shop except nobody <laughs> works here that knows how to fix the damn things so but you know word got around town and then yeah. we had mechanics like showing up and being like this is so cool can we help That's so like so we had pros that were like working in shops during the week that would then come over to the house on the weekend and like teach us stuff so that's really neat. that was how i learned the basics of bike mechanics. Mm-hmm. And then, um, I went to Bikeist, which is in Tucson, which is like one of the old school community bike shops. Um, the first ones in North America were started like in the, uh, Bikes Not Bombs was, is the folkloric first mm. community bike shop, which is in Boston and mm-hmm. they're still operating. Um, and then Bikeist in Tucson was like part of that kind of first wave, but they started in uh, 1994. Mm-hmm. So they had a lot of history already at that time. And they um, invited me to come, like, take their mechanic training class nice. for no cost and shared a bunch of their, like, organizing documents nice. uh, with me and one other person. And then we took the, all of that back to Phoenix and, like, used it to set up our shop more formally. Mm. And then after about two years of, like, working in the backyard, we got, uh, like, a warehouse space. And so that shop is still there. That's amazing. They have a manager now. Wow. I don't know who it is. <laughs> and yeah, I think recently they celebrated their 10 year anniversary. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's pretty cool. There's like another community bike shop there now, a few others there now. That's amazing. And so that, that was how I got involved. Yeah. Um, but there was already like a, str- a big, strong community happening. I just didn't, it just, I just like went about getting involved in kind of a roundabout way. Yeah, totally. Yeah. For um for me, I mean, I'm not super hyper involved. I sometimes do some volunteering, but I'm not a bike mechanic and I don't understand a lot about bikes and there's certain things that I don't like even I couldn't even begin to know how to like I'm still at this introductory phase. Um I didn't learn to ride a bike until really late in my life. Mm-hmm. I was like 16 or 17 probably. And uh and then the first time I did, I was like, oh my God, I am like, this is, I am so far behind, like everybody else, I can't do it. Like it was embarrassing. Um, and then a couple of years ago, uh, I just was like, I need 
a better way to get around though. And um, so I just got a bike off of Craigslist and my like some dear friends of mine like took me in all the back alleys here in East Van and you know like taught me how to shift gears and taught me how to brake properly and do all these things. And then um, a few weeks in I was like, I'm just gonna start biking to work. And I was living in East Van and working at Capilano University. So I was going over the Second Nose Bridge for like a few weeks <laughs> of like riding my bike and like up the- That's pretty scary. Um, I still hate it. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but then I got so into it. And you know, like last year I did, um, I biked around Iceland and I got really into, I was just like, this is amazing. This is the most free I've ever been. And how did I miss this for like most of my life and whatever. And then from there, I also had, because I had this weird anxiety and sort of embarrassment about not knowing a lot about bikes in general or like how to ride. I felt really uncomfortable going to the shops that are, you know, full of a bunch of dudes, like proper dudes uh, that talk the lingo. And, you know, I'm like, you're talking... A language I don't understand um you know I just learned about shifting gears like give me a break um so I was I started uh watching a lot of stuff on YouTube to learn to fix it myself because mm -hmm. I didn't want to go into those spaces uh, and I didn't feel super it didn't feel very accessible to me to go into those spaces um so I just started to teach myself and then somebody recommended that I go to some community bike shops and I did and I was like whoa this is this and there were like women gender queer and trans nights that I started going to and I felt just so comfortable and welcomed and I was like there is this community that exists that's not gonna judge me or like you know gonna be super patient with me and I, yeah it felt it's it's a really cool um tool I think to actually empower people to connect not just to the community but to their own ability to ride yeah. a bike and fix a bike and all those things. It makes you feel yeah. like it's like not just for an exclusive group. Yeah, there's of no reason to be have any yeah. kind of elite attitude yeah. about the concept that you move your person from point A to point B <laughs> in a mechanically efficient way. Yeah. Like there's nothing that should should yeah, be like totally. prohibitive about yeah. doing that. Yeah. And it, one of my favorite things about community bike shops in particular is that there's just absolutely zero snobbery about the kinds of bikes that go through there. Yeah. And if it's, if it's, if it runs and it's safe, there's just no judgment. Totally. Um, and I think that there's a lot of appreciation too for not only unusual bikes, kind of historic bikes, yeah. shall we say, uh, bikes that are really not going to get stolen, that mm -hmm. kind of thing. And so there's just this like wide, there's just this the appreciation is so yeah. wide for for the different kinds of bikes, and I absolutely just love it. <laughs> yeah, I think most people who work at community bike shops actually take pride in the concept of a Frankenbike and in figuring out compatibility issues so that you can have something that would get called a garbage bike at any other shop and turn it into, like, someone's favorite thing. Mm -hmm. And, like, it doesn't matter when you're... Like, even last night, I was biking home, and... All the cherry blossoms are out right now, mm -hmm. and it was dark out, but all the flowers were really bright, and I was, like, just going down a hill really fast yeah. and smiling, Yeah. and I was alone, and I was just, like, having a blast, <laughs> and for me, like, yeah. knowing that it's safe for me to go down the hill and my mm. bike isn't going to fall apart, like, 
that's the important part to me. Totally. So yep. I think, yeah, there are times when it is exciting to understand how a certain component was made. Yeah. And I think that's, like, where that, um, that, like, boys club kind of attitude yeah. comes around. But I, I think that that even those kinds of things can be recontextualized to make sense in a community bike shop mm-hmm. setting. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a really... I don't know. I think that any time I leave a community bike shop, I feel really empowered. Whereas, actually, this week I brought my bike to just a regular shop. It's like right here. I'm gonna just go for it. And I, yeah, I kind of got like a lot of flack about my bike and, like, really? yeah. And I was like, so they're like, well, it's like a cool frame. It's like nice frame, but you know, these handlebars are like, you know, so heavy and like this derailleur's like cheap and blah blah. And I was like, all right, man. Like, what do you want from me? <laughs> can you fix my chain? Cause that's what I'm here for. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, it, like I immediately was like, fuck, I wish I didn't do that. Like I immediately felt so like, Oh, I don't know enough about bikes to, to be walking into this space again. I was like, well, you know, it's nice that, that some shops have more resources. Um, and I think it's like really good when community bike shops can at the very least empower someone to, understand what they want done to their bike and that way when you go into a space like that Mm -hmm. and you're able to say like I want a new chain because my chain is stretched out and I don't want to talk about the weight of my handlebars (laughs) like to be able to assert that is actually really good for the Mm -hmm. staff that work in those places because then they hear that there are other kinds of people riding bikes it's true yeah and like we work with all of the community not all of them there are very many of them in Vancouver but like community bike shops work with pro shops all the time for various reasons so there's like always kind of a process going on of um like sharing knowledge and information and like yeah sometimes that does mean like reminding people that they don't know everything Mm -hmm. um or that not everybody wants to be upsold x component right or that yeah that the sort of like attention and care they have for their bike isn't really always about how it looks or Mm -hmm. they have a different way of liking how Mm -hmm. how it looks and it doesn't have to be like carbon woven Mm -hmm. or shiny or like a bright color although it can be all those things Mm -hmm. um but maybe the bright colors because they spray painted it themselves yeah (laughs) yeah like i think we have a different intake process at community bike shops which is to say that we have an intake process so like (laughs) instead of just like looking at the bike and making a bunch of statements about like our opinions about it it's more like oh hello person like what's your name how are you? What do you use your bike for? Mm-hmm. What do you want to use your bike for that you can't right now? Yeah. What is your budget like? And like not having totally. judgment about any of those things. Like what is your time frame like? How much of it do you want to do yourself? Yeah. Like those are the kinds of questions that we ask in a community bike shop. And mm-hmm. that's like probably setting us apart. Yeah. Because uh, yeah. a lot of people want that. A hundred percent. Yeah. Um, okay. Let's, let's talk about the, the sort of public community program programming that you that you do um who wants to start i think sunny wants to start because i coordinate one of the programs among many programs that sunny is a part of yeah and i'm not like around i'm not super getting my hands dirty as much anymore because i'm overseeing like a larger number of programs Mm -hmm. and so if you want like i could just say what some of those are yeah and maybe just pick a few that you think are like really cool and maybe that in the past you've been like had your heart really invested in well the one i'm still working on now like the one that i'm coordinating now is pedaling art and spare Mm -hmm. parts which is our arts programming 
Uh, and I've been kind of trying to grow that over the last few years to uh, include more workshops and more people. Uh, but basically the way that program works is it's a, it's a, it's two parts. The pedaling art part is the yearly art show. So it's an exhibition and like an auction fundraiser type deal, um, where people contribute work that is either bicycle themed or related or made from bicycle parts. Mm -hmm. Um, and then we do like a 50, 50 auction. So the artists get 50% of the final sale price and then the rest kind of goes back into our programming. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's like the one night event piece. And then the spare parts piece is a workshop series where we bring in arts instructors to teach workshops. And we've been hosting them at OCB the last couple of years. Um, and that just kind of depends on like what instructors are around and whether or not we get funding for it. Mm -hmm. But generally we'll have, um, like our, our really popular one last year was our jewelry mm -hmm. workshop. Yeah, so our, um, one of our full-time staff is also a jeweler and so she like brought in her jewelry tools so and cool. like tumbled all of the little oh God, so chain cool. links to make them <laughs> clean and shiny so people would actually want them dangling like near their faces and so cool. yeah taught us how to make like earrings and um things out of bike tubes and it was really fun people really liked it and got inspired and then yeah. went home and like made a whole bunch of other stuff and then submitted it to the exhibition. That's so neat. So that's like, that was kind yeah. of the goal yeah. was to have people be ex so excited about it that they want to participate in other ways yeah. and then potentially bringing in people who would then get excited about our programs and our um, shop spaces mm. and want, and like know about them. So it's like a bit of like a general promotion cool. vibe, but it's also just like engaging a different type of person to come into the space. Totally. So that's like, that's what I'm really into. And then the other thing I've been working on really closely is our, um, recycling side of things. Cause we have sort of like a bigger storefront presence and a lot of people know they can come in and work on their own bike. Um, but we don't have the capacity to manage the amount of donations that we get. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I've been working with a few people from the city to like set up a more streamlined and better staffed system for um diverting bikes from the landfill and then actually being able to recycle all of them properly mm -hmm. uh so yeah that's those have kind of been like the two initiatives that i've been um the most hands-on with over the last few years but we also run out of the program's office at the bike kitchen a number of workshops like um we have an intro to mechanics class that's four sessions people love it it's like great for when you want to learn how to fix your flat and like change your chain and do like the basic mm -hmm. kind of regular maintenance that mm -hmm. you need to do. And then we do an advanced version of that. That's like a seven week bike building course and a less advanced version. That's like a two hour Sunday workshop. Um, so yeah, doing like workshop series and then we do like an outreach series where we take a table and, um, a tool stand and we, uh, partner with campus and community planning at UBC to deliver all of these clinics throughout uh, the busy season. Mm -hmm. Um, and then we do other outreach with different groups kind of by, on a case by case basis. So if people want us to come do a free tune up stand somewhere, we will generally do it if we can. Mm -hmm. Um, and then we run a number of like in-house programs that we usually call access nights. So like you were saying, um, like we do, we have like a women in queer night and then mm -hmm. we do a, a a partnership with the Pride Society or the Pride Collective on campus that's mm -hmm. like an LGBTQ2I 
plus night and um those are really fun we just do them in-house yeah. and people show up and eat pizza and hang out and work on yeah. bikes and we you know we tried we piloted like a multilingual night um i want someone to do like a um like a physical accessibility night where people do like mods to their bikes mm. but no, no one's wanted to do it yet mm, so so if anyone wants to do that yeah, like we yeah. have space for it uh, totally. And we basically just, like, assign a staff to be a key holder, but, like, people can come in and use the space. So, like, different groups from UBC will, like, set up a special workshop mm-hmm. where they come in and we just host them to hang out and work on their bikes in, like, a private setting. Mm-hmm. And then we do, like, um, uh, this other series called, I think it's called Bikes 101. It's on our website. But you basically, like, book me to come in a classroom <laughs> setting and talk about various bike things. So there's like modules and you can put together a thing and it's like, I basically will show up with like a laser pointer and a laptop and like do a PowerPoint presentation about bikes. And it's really fun. Yeah. I think it's really fun. No one else likes doing it, but that's why I do it. Yeah. <laughs> and then our other programs um, that are kind of like offsite slash in-house are... Uh, BC Libre, which Rachel's going to talk about, and uh, Pedals for the People is run out of our community bikes, um, but we kind of partner with them to for some of, to deliver some of the programming and some of the bikes, and that's that's just like a program where we, um, it's like on a rotating calendar, people can drop in and apply for um, a bike uh, that is on that it's either free of charge or on like a sliding scale of cost mm-hmm. and that has like a bit of a wait list but it's um, yeah. something that we try to do and then in the summer we run the kids bike library which uh, is kind of a pop-up once a week at the bike kitchen and people can just come and get a bike for uh, a child yeah that is free cool. <laughs> and yeah. then trade it out yeah. when the kid when gets too big and needs growing. a different one yeah that's a yeah, Smart. those are those are a few of the things. Yeah, and that's amazing. <laughs> There's more, and we always, you know, we invite people in the community and like members of our board and our staff to start new programs or mm-hmm. to change them or contribute to them. I should probably also mention the Purple and Yellow Bike Share because that's the program that our organization was founded on in 1999. It's the free bike share at UBC. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, our shop was originally just that, so it was like used bikes that got painted purple and yellow and just, like, scattered around campus mm-hmm. and people can just ride them. And that is still happening, like, 20 years later. Yeah, that's <laughs> it's so pretty cool. amazing. Did and it's mostly a recruiting tool now and, like, yeah. a learning space. Like, we open our shop on Tuesday nights and volunteers come in and learn how to build those bikes. Neat. And then periodically so cool. paint them and, like, distribute them yeah. around campus. And then sometimes they go count them and, like, see how many there are. Yeah. <laughs> mostly we just build them and then yeah. just they disappear. They, they but, go to the world, yeah. yeah. <laughs> do, you, do they have, like, are they... Do you have to join or something to have a lock yeah they have a universal u-lock so if you volunteer you come and volunteer pmy and then you or you can just put down like a ten dollar deposit or something and get a key um and then you have that key for a year and you can check it out again when the year's over so it's it's pretty casual like we we were working on ways to track it a little bit better but we don't want to go into the model of like the public bike share where bike usage is like extremely surveilled and regimented like we're not looking to kind of combine with that model at Mm -hmm. all um yeah we want to stick with the model of like teaching people bike repair yeah cool 
Um, okay, let's talk about BC Libre then. Yes, I love the program, mm-hmm. um, which is why I started volunteering for mm-hmm. it yeah. <laughs> a couple of years ago. But um, I grew up on in a border city, um, so in San Diego, mm-hmm. which is as far south as you can go in the U.S., mm-hmm. um, and right next to Tijuana. And so, you know, having learned Spanish most of my um, childhood, I ended up in Vancouver where, you know, there's some Spanish-speaking folks, but not so, so many. Mm -hmm. Um, And I also had this history of being involved in bike collectives, and I had finished the first year of my master's degree here, and I was so sick of everything to do with, like, me and my research and Mm -hmm. my research interests and classes and it was um I came across this program out of UBC and I was like great I get to speak Spanish and I get to fix bikes and I get to think about how there are all of these folks in this country temporarily Mm -hmm. who do a lot of the backbreaking labor around food Mm -hmm. um and what can I do in terms of conversation, in terms of mechanical repair, in terms of just kind of being there yeah, um, to help support the kind of everyday, making, making those folks' experience here a little bit easier. Because I think yeah. it can be, well, it's, well, for some folks, I think it's a really good opportunity to be able to make and save money yeah. um, for whatever purpose. It's also a really, really tough, isolating experience and not having transit makes it I think a lot harder so you know does does providing uh, a worker with a bicycle change the structural conditions of (laughs) um, migrant labor in BC it doesn't at the same time I think it's really an important facilitator of Mm well-being for that worker Um, and so I was really thrilled to be involved in as a volunteer for that project and it's changed a little bit over the years. I think it started in 2014. Yes. Okay, we're going to guess 2014. <laughs> Maybe Educate. 2015. Maybe 2015. Somewhere around 2014 and 2015. Um, I'm sure there was a lot of there were a lot of talks and negotiation before mm-hmm. the thing actually got off the ground. So around that time, um, by Lauren Warbeck who's a at that time kind of a bike mechanic around town, but also a graduate student at UBC, um, looking at issues of, of uh, deportation and um, detainment um, of folks crossing right. the, the border in you know, particular unapproved ways or folks without status in Canada. Mm-hmm. So it really comes from a political point yeah. of view um, with Lauren having sort of talked talk to a lot of organizers and activists around migrant rights and dignity um, and saw this big gap um, where she, as a bike mechanic, Mm -hmm. um, was really drawn towards and felt able to make connections to get kind of like free or extremely low cost um, bicycles to to workers to just support their their like presence and well-being in the country. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's... Yeah, it's changed a little bit over the past couple of years. Um, at a, at one time, BC Libre was partnering with 
kind of mobile health clinics. Mm. And so, you know, when workers on usually their one day off uh, leave to get groceries or go to church or um, pick up whatever necessities they need or go to a movie, whatever it is, um, sometimes they can access these mobile health clinics, uh, which is really important. Yeah. And we would kind of just show up with the clinics and be like, hey, do you did you get here on a bicycle? Does it need to be repaired? Do you want us to look at it? Also, do you want a bicycle if mm-hmm. you don't have one? Um, and lately we've been collaborating with um, the Sanctuary Collective here that also works out of, of healthcare, mm-hmm. but um, they're a couple of like particularly dedicated activists there who are really out at the farms a lot and talking yeah. to workers about what would be useful for them, what would be helpful, what they want, what they need. And so part of it is there's this demand for, for bikes and for tools to repair those bikes. Mm. And so we've been working a little bit more closely um, with those activists to really go right to the farms cool. as opposed to sure. uh, have folks come, come yeah, to us, yeah. if that makes sense. No, that's great. That's really, really interesting. Um, so what's your level of involvement this year? I'm uh, co-coordinating it mm-hmm. um, with another person, and I want, her name's Teresa, but I don't actually know if I can pronounce her last name. Have you ever done that? Uh, <laughs> I don't think I've ever done that. Okay, Teresa, who's uh, also a graduate student at UBC, and um, has some close connections to parts of the kind of cycling community mm-hmm. and um, shops in the Vancouver area. And so we're, we start May 1st, I yeah. guess, so in a couple of days, uh, to really like get into the, the season okay. for BC Libre. So where do the bikes come from? Mm, great question. Yeah. Well, as far as I know, and Sunny might be able to speak to this further, they magically appear in the bike cage cool. at UBC. Yeah. But um, <laughs> but I imagine that they're donated by all sorts of different um, individuals, groups, or other moved between bike collectives. Okay. Um, I... Because a certain kind of bike is more ideal for mm. BC Libre. Yeah. Uh, like more of a mountain bike kind of. Yeah. If you think about the terrain. Like exactly. Yeah. We do a, a triage pr- process with all the bikes that come in. So mm-hmm. we get bikes from uh, the transfer station in South mm-hmm. Vancouver. Um, we get bikes that are donated by individuals to one of the three community bike shops in town. And um, we also pick up bikes from various groups and organizations and individuals. And then they come back to our facilities and get assigned to different programs. Mm, so they, okay. they either get assigned... Um, to be dismantled and recycled. Uh, they get assigned to Pedals for the People. They get assigned to BC Libre to, uh, or to get rebuilt and sold um, to the Kids Bike Library. Mm. To, they get, so they get kind of allocated based on what kind of space we have and what programs are currently active. And then whoever's coordinating each program, uh, ideally it will appear to those people that the bikes have magically appeared. So that's that's good to hear. Feels like right now. (laughs) That's great. Yeah. Yeah. But then the BC Libre bikes go through a very special process, um, that has like more of a community, uh, facing front, Mm -hmm. um, because you and Teresa have been organizing these bike building parties that happen at kickstand and engage lots of people to help repair the bikes, Mm -hmm. which I think is really great. Yeah. And I've been, um, I've been impressed with the number of folks who just want to show up on a Saturday 
and fix some bikes for this program. Mm-hmm. Um, That's a really cool way to involve the community. So even people who are not bike mechanics can show up and, oh, absolutely. and do these like, like bike builds. Yeah. And so part mm-hmm. of it, I mean, it, I think it really dovetails with the kind of community bike shop, community bike collective model mm-hmm. because, um, folks can show up who have any level of mechanical knowledge mm-hmm. about bicycles, uh, but who just either want to fix bikes, care about the cause or both. Yeah. Um, and so they'll show up and there'll be some people hanging around. Myself, Teresa, um, kickstand staff mm-hmm. as well. Regular volunteers, folks who are just passionate. Um, and if somebody needs some support around parts of a repair or the entire thing, um, we'll do it in pairs. Uh, And so there's really a a teaching and learning component that goes into it if that's something that the person is is interested in. Um, And if they're not, they get, you know, they can have a crack at it in Mm -hmm. whichever way they want. And we safety check all the bikes Mm -hmm. before we give them away. So um, I think it's a pretty... I think it's a pretty safe learning environment Mm -hmm. for lots of different kinds of folks and who can get the kind of resources at the degree that they're interested in getting resources. Um, And we feed them pizza and... What a cool way to, yeah, roundabout, involve community, teach people about bikes, like create that accessible space and then to further you know, be a bit political about what you're doing with those bikes afterwards. Yeah, there's always, there's always people who want to learn how to build bikes, Mm -hmm. and there's always more bikes than we know what to do with, Mm -hmm. and, like, my feeling about it is that I think there should be a community bike shop in every neighborhood, Mm -hmm. and that the people who work or volunteer there will, um, will naturally try to meet the needs of their own communities. So, it's actually, you know it helps take some of the, uh, the high level, like the capacity issues that we experience in community bike shops. Um, it helps disperse those when people show up to those events. So Mm -hmm. yeah, people, um, who are listening should not feel shy to show up to one of those because, Mm -hmm. um, we may be helping you learn, but you're helping us meet the needs of totally. That's so the cool. people who use our bikes. So yeah. it's really, we try to make it mutually beneficial as much as possible. Cool. We play good music too. Yeah. Nice. Um, <laughs> I chat with folks about the program if they're interested in talking about it. And talk it's, about your life. Yeah, we talk about our lives. We <laughs> talk about movies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we probably complain about the weather because yeah, it's probably raining. Of, yeah, yeah, of course. Um, cool. Is there anything that you would say about the Vancouver bike community that that you? Sorry, the bunnies are now like, hey, hey, bunnies, waking up, making a bit of noise. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. Is there anything you would say about the Vancouver bike community that you know you like or might want to try to attract people to or? You know, I feel like there's a bit of a subculture of not just, I think there's like a subculture of like cyclists, but I think there's like a subculture of bike community shops. And um, is there anything you'd want to say about Vancouver in particular? Hmm. I mean, Vancouver, like the community bike shops have been 
my family for a long time now, so I have that feeling about my coworkers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so hopefully it doesn't weird them out if they are listening to this. <laughs> um, but I'm in my personal life, I'm like a bit of a lone wolf, so yeah. I don't really know that much. About, I know that there are lots of different group rides that happen mm-hmm. and like lots of different kinds of subcultures around cycling in Vancouver, but I don't know if I could really speak to that because I'm not really a part of it in that way. Um, but I do plan on getting really into mountain biking this summer, so Ooh, yeah. ask me again in three okay, months. Okay, okay, I, cool. I might be like a total mountain yeah, bike yeah, bro yeah. next time you see me. Okay, <laughs> That's awesome. Um, I, I mean, I love exploring and getting around a city by bike. Mm-hmm. And Vancouver, I moved here from a much smaller um, city than Vancouver, so it was a real thrill to kind of get that back. Um, and to see all the infrastructure that there is for cyclists in Vancouver, especially the, um, the buttons to change oh, the lights. Yeah, yeah. I never, I'd never seen that in my life. Right. Uh, cyclists yeah. like controlled button. I know I haven't either. It's it was amazing. delight. That's so interesting. Um, but I'm a bit of a, I'm a bit of a biking weenie at this point in my life. <laughs> like I used to bike through snow in Montreal, yeah, yeah, and, you know, and yeah. I was like super hardcore and now my body hurts in different oh, ways yeah. that it, um, than it has before. And I, I am a bit of a crybaby about the rain. Mm. So, <laughs> um, that has cut my biking season a little bit shorter than it used mm. to be, uh, in the past. And I tend to, I just. It's, it's hard for me to speak about, you know, bigger communities of cyclists because I love um, biking by myself. <laughs> yeah. Me too. Uh, it's just a real... It's the best. It's a real that. pleasure. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I, I'm sort of in, in like, more towards sunny situation mm-hmm. as well than kind of a, a group ride type. Yeah. I think that's cool, though, because that means that you can be kind of immersed in this community to an extent um but you don't have to be like oh i'm so social with like yeah. this one thing well there's right? infrastructure like there's, yeah like there's lots of trails and paths yeah. and campsites yeah. that you can bike to yeah. and like you can go bike around the gulf islands alone yeah like, there's, it's amazing so there's a lot yeah. of infrastructure and like natural infrastructure mm-hmm. that makes it so that you don't necessarily need a community in order yeah. to get into biking like you would in Maybe. other cities totally. that don't have as much infrastructure yeah, where like safety true. and numbers is really important. Yeah. But like, for example, there's the Grand Fondo, um, this summer, Hannah, mm-hmm. who we work with, was just telling us about it yesterday, how they're going to close the Sea to Sky Highway Whoa. so that all the cyclists can ride to Whistler. And like, that's really cool. Like yeah. I wouldn't do that by myself yeah. at this point. I probably would have 10 years ago, right. but, um, I would be... Yeah, also too much of a weenie to, like, do a dangerous <laughs> adventure like that yeah. if there wasn't some kind of, like, community support happening. Mm-hmm. So, like, I anticipate that I will probably become interested in those types of things on and off yeah. throughout my life as I, like, you know, get older and try to find ways to have cycling remain physically accessible for me. <laughs> right. Like, it definitely gets harder and, yeah. like, I've been in enough accidents to have like a healthy sense of fear on the road Mm -hmm. and I don't take risks so yeah I think it's like my idea of community and cycling has changed a lot over the years and like I wouldn't I used to go on a ride in Phoenix called the crap ride Mm -hmm. which stands for the car resistance action party 
And it was great. Like, it was a social ride once a week. It was kind of like a pub crawl. Mm, nice. And we would, like, go around yeah. and, like, have a beer and then go bike down a path and yeah. then stop at another bar. And so that, like, I have participated in those types of groups in the past, and I think they can be really great. Yeah. And, like, I know that they exist in Vancouver, but, um, yeah, I met someone the other week who was telling me about a ride. I think it's the Vancouver Bike Society or something like that. Okay. You know that... I've heard about them, but they're, like, they meet at Dude Chilling Park mm. every week, like, rain or shine, mm. and go for, like, a, a social ride, but it's, like, fat, like a fast, medium-fast social ride. Mm. So, I know there's, like, different groups like that where there'll be, like, a pub crawl or, like, a bike rave mm-hmm. where it's, like, very slow and you're not expected to be, like, an athletic cyclist yeah. necessarily, but then there's other rides where, like, you would be expected to go fast. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, like, we used to divide them up by by miles per hour, so... And I used to run a ride um, from Phoenix to Tucson and back every year. Mm. That was, like, to teach people about bike touring and group riding. That's cool. So, like, I have been really into it in the past. Like, we would train people on how to do a pace line mm. and, like, how to do roadside first aid. Yeah. And we had a support car and, like, we would camp overnight and then bike back the mm. next day in a big group. So... Nice. Like, that's not in Vancouver, but yeah, I yeah. assume that things yeah, like that probably happens. exist yeah. here. <laughs> yeah. Because there are so many cyclists. Like, it's just so much right? more a part of um, the social fabric here. It does feel like Where that, there's, yeah. like, the multimodal transit concept has been, like, really well um, adopted, at least in theory, by city planning in Vancouver. Yeah. So I expect that that will increase even more, and I don't know how that will affect, like, people's desire to, like, self-create these cycling groups Mm -hmm. if they're not necessarily needed, because we have so much infrastructure. Yeah, Yeah, that's a good point. Um, Okay, so how do people find you, or reach out, or show up, or... Yeah, lots of ways. Yeah. Um, We have a shop that's open six days a week, so dropping in is always great. Our shop is um, in front of Brock Hall in a double portable trailer uh, from 10 to 6 Monday through Friday and 11 to 6 on Saturdays. Um, We're going to be moving back into the Student Union building sometime this summer. Uh, So if you're on campus, keep an eye out for that. We'll have signage all around um, helping direct people to our new space. We also have an office in uh, the Student Nest. Um, which, you know, we're there sporadically, but again, you can drop <laughs> by. So those are the ways to kind of reach us in person. Um, if you're like ready to just start volunteering and you want to show up and like get your hands dirty, uh, PNY night is the way to go. And that's Tuesday nights from six to nine after hours. Um, we also have a, a volunteer sign up form on our website. If you want to get involved, uh, with our, communications team with doing promotions, taking pictures, writing blog posts, um, or doing any other type of non-mechanical volunteer work. Um, you just sign up, you know, same thing. You can come in in person and sign up, but we do have a forum online, uh, and our website is bikecoop.ca with no dash, just bikecoop.ca. <laughs> bikecoop. Um, yeah, what else? We're on we're on the gram. Nice. Um, we're on the Facebook. People yeah. can find you. Um, we are. We're findable. The bike yeah. co-op and the bike kitchen are the same 
thing. We're just essentially two departments of the same organization. Mm -hmm. Uh, I know that causes some confusion. Yeah. Uh, So that's one thing to keep in mind. But if you're an East fan, there's also our community bikes on Main and Broadway um, and Kickstand on Commercial and Venables. And we all kind of work together. So if you want to like start at one shop and weasel around into another shop or like you know <laughs> right, a, lot, a lot of friends. people don't yeah. know that we're connected yeah yeah um and will contact us for uh partnerships or to get involved and they'll make three separate phone calls right and like give their whole pitch three separate times but you don't necessarily have to do that you can just assume that we're all talking to each other behind the scenes because yeah. we are yeah um cool. yeah <laughs> anything you want to add Rachel uh just that yeah if you're interested in um, learning how to fix bikes or fixing bikes specifically for BC Libre as a program. Um, we usually have a bike build party about once a month. There's going to be one in May. Um, I think, don't quote me on this, but probably the 19th. Cool. Um, at, at Kickstand, sorry? At Kickstand. Yeah. And you can find the information on um, our Facebook page uh, okay. through the AMS Bike Co-op. All. I'll try to post some links when I post this so people can Woo! find it easy. We, we have a love BC links. Libre email, too. That's right. It's uh, bclibre at bikecoop.ca. <laughs> <laughs> uh, cool. Great. Well, thanks for coming. Absolutely. Thanks, thanks for, for having us. us. Yeah. Thanks for the tea. Oh, you're yeah. welcome. Mine is mint green. Black. Black. Mint, mint and black. black tea. Mm, I got an herbal yarrow blend. <laughs> Do you, does anyone want to hold a bunny? Yes. Yes. <laughs> if you like this podcast and you want to make sure we keep producing content, head on over to our Patreon page and support us if you can. You can find that at patreon.com slash podcast. Thanks to Sunny and Rachel and to Davis Steele who composed the music for this podcast. And thanks for listening. Stay tuned for our next episode.